Be the right club. Be the right club today. Yeah. I mean, that's better than most. How about him? That is better than most. Better than most. Expect anything different. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the No Laying Up podcast. We have joining today for the very first time from the European Tour. He is a social media manager for the European Tour, Jamie Kennedy. Jamie, what is a week like uh, for you being media for the European Tour for an event in which the European Tour is not running, like this week for the, for the Open Championship? I'll be courteous. I'm going to say the Open Championship for you. We'll get to that question in a second, but uh, what's this week like for you? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a little different, definitely. Funny you should say about the... Uh about the naming of it because I've just arrived in my hotel here just near Trun and um, I've got a note that says we hope you enjoy your time at the Scottish Golf Open so, oh, I mean, that's, that's in Scotland and they butchered it so I'll, uh, I'll be making a formal complaint like us Brits do and telling them that it's the Open Championship so uh, but now the week itself yeah it's a little different you know obviously we run uh, our events and uh, have a lot more going on than just the golf tournament, but this week it's we're you know we're sort of a fly on the wall a little bit, helping out players and um, just enjoying it like everyone else. Really, it's uh, my workload's a little less than normal, which is nice. So it's as a golf fan myself, it's just fun to come and watch watch the Open. Yeah, it's got to be a nice week for to to actually have a down week for work wise, have it being one of the biggest events of the year. But uh, are you? I guess a little bit a bit about your background. Are you? You are from Scotland. That's correct. That is correct. Yeah, yeah. So I've had uh, I was at the Scottish Open last week, and I'm I'm here again. So I've got a couple of home events, uh, which is good fun. We get a couple every year. That's got to be pretty prime time for you now. Do you still live in Scotland? No, I, I live down in London. I grew up in grew up in Edinburgh and played a lot of golf out in sort of East Lothian, you know, the Muirfield, North Berwick parts of the world, and then um, went to the States for a little bit and then came back. And yeah, so I'm based at Wentworth with the European Tour down there, but I live in London, so I do a fair bit of traveling. Now, I, I know you, uh, you're a listener to the podcast and you follow along yeah, on Twitter, it. so you've, you've heard me say this before probably, but... Being that you work for the European Tour, I figured you'd be the best person to ask on this. Why is it called the European Tour? Yeah, it's a valid point, and we get asked about it a lot. I mean, obviously, it started as, as events around Europe, and you know, we've grown. I think we play in like 28 different countries now or something, so you know, we're traveling to all corners of the world. So it maybe doesn't make sense with as many people as it used to, but uh, I guess it's a, it's a brand now. Um, for the most part, would you say that the players enjoy traveling to all these different countries, or what's what's kind of the feedback you get from them? Are they uh, do they see that as more of a burden, or is that something? Is that part of the reason why they're out there for the different yeah. experience? To be honest, I mean, I think I think you'll know from being in Europe, and you know, you tend to just travel a little bit more than maybe you do when you're in America, and you just go sort of state to state. So. Um, the guys on our tour, if they've come from the Challenge Tour or they've come from the European Tour, they sort of they sort of enjoy it and they enjoy the sort of travel and flying and um, you know probably picking their schedules, but maybe a bit more key. But you know, it's funny we had Patrick Reed, you know, one of your favorite golfers. Um, <laughs> he played uh, he played a full season on our tour last year, so he came and played quite a few events and 
uh, he was really well received by everyone and you know I was talking to him at the end of the year um, about how it all been and you know what, you know trying to get because it's hard for us to try and gauge what it's like I mean we do it every week so it's good to get someone like him and uh, he was raving about it I mean he I think he'd been taught how to play snooker by one of the players in China so that was like a surreal experience for him trying to understand how to play snooker and then he'd come to Dubai and uh, for the season-ending event where he played pretty well and enjoyed it so much that he like called his family and t- told them to come out. And they, uh, they ended up having like a week's holiday in Dubai after our last event of the year. So, you know, things like that are probably you don't really get a sense of it. But, you know, the places these guys stay and the courses they get to play and the cities that they can go and visit, I mean, it's a pretty good deal for the guys. <laughs> I, mean, I get to do some of it and I enjoy it. So I can't imagine what it's like when you're getting you know, paid a lot of money and getting to play the courses that I just watched, so. Yeah, and I think considering how long the season is now um, and what the weather's like in most of Europe for for most of the year, it's definitely understandable why the tour is so expanded to all these warmer climates and warmer destinations because especially in continental Europe, there aren't that many months out of the year where you can <laughs> you can be playing golf unless you're playing in Spain or Italy. Um, and even then, you're, it's kind of, the weather can be a bit unpredictable. So I do, yeah. I, I do understand it. But so yeah, you touched on that. You get to do some of the travel. How often are you on the road with the tour? Yeah, I mean, I, I do a fair bit. We've got a few guys in, on the team, obviously that sort of uh, we divvy it all up. So, but I'm probably doing about 15 events a year. Um, I don't go to sort of the the South African events because we work closely with like the Sunshine Tour and we have good relationships with other tours. But yeah, I got we sort of get to. A little bit choose our schedule, <laughs> not to quite a Steve Stricker level or anything like that. But we get to uh, we get to sort of almost play a bit of uh, of a draft at the start of the season and sort of say, right, I've never been to Switzerland before, so I'd like to go there and some. So it's you know outside of golf and outside of working, you know, you have to appreciate that it's a it's a pretty good gig. So yeah, fifteen events this year. So I'm here for a couple of weeks and then I'm actually not back on the road again until uh, Hazeltine. I'm going over there for for ten days for the Ryder Cup and then a, a few season-ending events as well. So I got to pinch myself a little bit. <laughs> I was gonna say it sounds like. Uh... I, I'd imagine you you would be very happy with your job, and it's, it sounds like pretty much a dream job. But how did you get started with the European tour, and how did uh, how did this did did this role uh, was it was it this a specific role that you were hired to do, or did this kind of evolve this role kind of evolve into what it is now? Yeah, yeah, I mean, it probably a big sure of both. To be honest, I mean, I think you know. Um, I was working in, uh, I went to university in Jacksonville, so obviously right next to the PGA Tour headquarters and played a bit of sawgrass and stuff. I went to JU, so my roommate actually was Russell Knox, so he uh, he's obviously doing pretty well now. My other roommate was uh, Duncan Stewart, a Scottish guy, and he's won on the Challenge Tour, so it was funny. We actually met at the Irish Open about a month ago, and Russell, was, uh, Russell obviously almost won. And uh, Duncan was just traveling to visit, and we uh, we had dinner one night. I took a photo and put on my Instagram account saying that between us we'd won, I think, two tour events in the last six months. Uh, obviously, I wasn't helping at all, but, uh, but yeah, so it's really cool to see them doing well and still get, you know, I saw Russell last week, I'll see him again this week, and, you know, he's obviously doing pretty well. But yeah, so that so from there, I uh, I actually worked for a company called IDS Sports in, uh, in Jacksonville, which was a lot of fun. I traveled with, uh, I worked at the first ever playoff events on the PGA Tour, and then worked at the US Open Tennis, and that was sort of a... Uh, recording and analyzing some of the stats behind 
both sports. So it's kind of why I, I'm a bit of a stats nerd in golf now. But um, And then I basically came back to the UK after doing that for a couple of years. Uh, and I was working for a, a golf website in Edinburgh, um, which is a lot of uh, pretty good fun there and playing quite a bit. And then I started sort of blogging on my own and doing the Twitter account and things like that. And it was actually Shane Bacon, you know, a good friend of you guys, that he, uh, he sort of dropped me a note on Twitter, I think, one day or sent me an email saying, you know, I see the tour looking for, for someone, you know, you'd be perfect for it. And um, so didn't think much of it, applied for it, flew down to Wentworth for, a, for an interview. And next thing I knew, I was, my first event was actually the Ryder Cup in Glen Eagles. Wow. First, event, first event I ever went to, I was, I was at the tour a couple months before it, but um, they handed over the reins and said, uh, tell everyone about the Ryder Cup and show them what it's like to be there. So, um, so that was pretty fun. Well, you, not, you have any idea how many hour-long podcasts I've sat on with Bacon, and he's never once come up with a job opportunity for me. Like, what, what do I have to do to get a job opportunity? Yeah, no, no, maybe, maybe a privileged one, but, or maybe he just thinks you've got the best job possible. So, <laughs> um, so, so tell, me, tell us a little bit about um, what, what your role is specifically for the tour. I think uh, I, I, before you get into it, I would say that I think the European tour – was ahead of the PGA Tour as far as how they were implementing um, Twitter interaction. So I, I'm I'm mostly focused on Twitter, I would say, but yeah. I imagine Instagram and Facebook as well. But um, you guys kind of took the lead in in interacting with people and kind of taking a fun twist of it instead of everything being strictly formal and promotional tweets. It was. Uh, you know, you'd have captions in there that you wouldn't expect to see from like a, I think a very corporate account, I guess is what somebody might view as a corporate account. And you guys felt like the first you were doing live video um, tweets and whatnot. Is that something that you were the lead on, a part of? I mean, I imagine it's a team that's on it, but uh, I guess how did that, how did the, how did you guys become the innovator in that category? Yeah, well, firstly, that's, that, I'm going to tip my cap to that. That was very nice of you to say that. <laughs> <laughs> No, I mean, I, I think it was timing, really. I mean, I came on at a time where, you know, I was lucky enough to be sort of at university, and you know, I think our generation is built around, you know, coming into um, like Facebook and Twitter at the right time. You know, I, I was lucky in being at university in the states. I, you know, what before Facebook was open to the public, it was just open if you had an American uh, college email address, which I obviously had. So, just fortunate enough to be sort of surrounded by social media when I was growing up and. Uh, spent a lot of time on it, obviously, and then when I started at the tour, I just brought a little bit of that sort of personality, and obviously, just they were looking for people to kind of drive that forward. You know, um, you know, golf sometimes, uh, you know, doesn't get the best rep, but it's obviously there's tons of fun in it, and it's you know, amazing game, and you know, just getting to be around some of these players and see, I mean, walking on the range at some of these events and just seeing how well they hit it, and just their personalities and stuff i mean we're so fortunate we got guys all across the world all different sort of nationalities and stuff and they're all you know funny guys they all hang out together they enjoy each other's company so it's you know my job is basically just to sort of showcase that a little bit like i can and um luckily at the tour they put a lot of confidence in me and the team around me to to sort of push that forward like you say try and drive you know innovation and, and video and things like that anything that's around the corner that we can use um basically just showing fans how cool it is to be there. I mean, you know, we, like I said, we play in 28 different countries. It's not like you can come out and watch that many events. So uh, we like to think that people sitting on their sofas take out their phone and they get a cool sense of what it's like to 
to be at an event and get to know these players a little bit more than just seeing their golf swing or seeing the sort of token interviews at the end of rounds. So, um, yeah, it's been it's been really fun, and you know, we work pretty closely with the guys at Twitter and Facebook and Instagram, and obviously work closely with the players, and uh, we seem to be doing a pretty good job at the moment. But it's uh, you know, you know as well as anyone with the no laying up blog and Twitter accounts and stuff, you never know what's around the corner. You just sort of react to it and. You can't plan too far ahead before it changes, but uh, it's a blast, man. It's so much fun. Right. And I think uh, it's easy to kind of forget now. I mean, I I think I remember specifically it was last June. I was uh, driving back on a Sunday, and, you know, I was in the middle of nowhere, and I was getting, you know, Twitter videos on, like, I could check my phone and see videos of highlights <laughs> on my phone. And it's like now it's very common. Like uh, there's there's PGA Tour and European Tour posting videos every single day. You don't think anything of it really anymore. You're used to seeing it. But it, not that long ago, this wasn't really a thing, right? So yeah, you know, somebody people people nowadays are not near their TV near their TVs necessarily. So the way they keep up with things is on their phones or on social media. So I find so much value in being able to get uh, you know if if somebody's hitting a, a crazy shot it, with it, you know I'll see people's reaction to it. And then typically within five minutes, that's posted on you know European Tour or PGA Tour yeah. account. So, so is there somebody always just sitting there waiting for one of these things to happen? I guess what what I want I just want to know what the cre- the creative process that goes into um, like posting a tweet. Like, does somebody have to yeah. proofread it before it goes out? Or I I, I just I was fascinated on how that works. No, no, yeah, we get I get asked that quite a lot by friends and stuff, and even just playing golf. If somebody finds out, that's what I do. They always want to know what goes on behind the scenes and stuff. But to take you back and sort of understand how it works, I mean, I think fans basically decide on how this sort of innovation happens. I remember, I don't know if you remember, it was at the Ned Bank event in South Africa, I think like two years ago. I just started and uh, Luke Donald was playing a hole and uh, I mean, it's on a sort of nature reserve at Sun City and it's got a safari near nearby and there's animals everywhere and a baboon came onto the hole and like <laughs> didn't run at Luke Donald but sort of close enough that Luke got a little scared and luckily wasn't wearing white trousers at the time and sort of took off <laughs> over his caddy and and uh, you know we saw this happening on in, in the office and we we're like oh my god and you know within seconds people were posting videos that they've taken of their tvs yeah. you know they, they wanted to share it and and so you know that's a sort of light bulb moment for for people like twitter and people like us that you know, clearly people want to show that and share that, you know, everyone talks about sharing and people want to share that and send it to their friends saying hilarious or, um, and so at that stage we didn't have access to be able to do the videos like we do now. So we had to turn it around and you know, it might've taken like 20 minutes. And by that point, you know, there was vines and other videos that were sort of trending. And, um, and so that was, that was a big wake up call for us. So that's when we sort of, um, met with, with Twitter and met with our IT guys and we're like, you know, we need to be a lot quicker. And so the, basically the way it works, you know, to your question, um, probably a good example is actually the shot I saw you trying to hit at the K club a couple of weeks ago. <laughs> um, so we're, uh, whoever's at the event, basically, you know, we're multi-screening all the time. You've got different screens going on, but you, you sort of always have one on, on the feed that, that's coming through. And, and when Rory hits that shot into 18, I mean, <laughs> As soon as you see a bit of tour sauce, before you even see the ball, you know, if you see Roy hit and, twir- and like twirl his club and start walking after it, you basically, you know, tuck your chair under your desk and get going to work before you've even seen it land. So uh, you know what's coming when he does that. So, uh, but yeah, so we're, we're able to clip it up. I think that 
actually, you know, we got that clip um, of Rory's live on Twitter uh, in less than a minute from when he hit it. So, you know, just being able to like, just be able to do that. And, and like you say, you know, from a fan's point of view, I just, you know, open up Twitter and see everyone's reaction to it and celebrities' reactions to it and then Rory sharing it later on and stuff. And it, it's just a really cool way. I mean, it's a, it's, it's the second screen nature of how we all do things now is watching golf and then, you know, if it's a break or if you've seen a show or something, you just want to go and see what everyone's saying about it and, and see it again and over and over again. And uh, it's just, it's, it's a lot of fun doing it. But uh, yeah, so that's how it works. We basically have a few guys behind the scenes and um, we all try and get on the same page in, in terms of like tone and, and personality of the account. And um, But the key is just to be quick on it. I mean, we want to get things out there and, and put it in front of the fans as soon as possible, whatever it is. And uh you know, the guys keep hitting good shots and it's, it makes our job pretty easy. I mean, I think actually after that, when we met at the at Wentworth, we had a sort of a big company meeting and, you know, a lot of people were coming up and saying, oh my God, like three million people would watch that video in, in two days and it was, you know, really well done, Jay. You did, you did a great job. You know, that was, I'm just thinking, you know, my job was literally like four or five clicks and typing up a couple of tweets. Like, I didn't have to hit a 252-yard shot over water on the 72nd hole to win an event. Like, Rory makes our job pretty easy. These other guys that hit good shots and hole in ones make it easy, but um, it's, we just have to be ready to be in position. But it's uh, it's good fun, man. Let me just say though, Rory's shot there on the 18th K Club, that it was his was from closer than where I hit it from. Yeah, I just, yeah, I just, I told me through yours. I mean, we we saw it. it looked like you you had a little editing on your videos. So. I'm just, I'm uh, just saying. I'm just saying. Okay. That's all I'm saying. But um, so, uh, so is there ever? I guess are all the tweets? Do they come from the same location? Like I've always pictured, like that several people have access to account you run the risk of the same person posting the same, like doing the same thing or, or kind of overlapping each other. Yeah. Is, are you always like right next to each other and can be able to tell like, okay, I'm posting this blah, blah, blah. Yeah, completely. Yeah. We, I mean, we have teams who will sort of bounce ideas back and forth and how, how you word things or how you caption things or somebody will spot a photo or a storyline or they've been outside and picked up a quote from a guy or something. But yeah, we, I mean, we don't, we are pretty, uh, well routined and, and who's looking after it and who's in charge and, you know, all the media guys and digital guys at our company, you know, understand social media now much better. And, and it's, uh, it's really cool to see the way it's changed in a couple of years from, you know, when I first started and, you know, I was probably the kid doing social media to, to now we've got like a pretty good, strong team and, you know, some of the videos that we get we get to put together with players out with the events and things like that is, uh, you know, they obviously value it and, and enjoy it. And, uh, uh, yeah, so, I mean, we, it's not just me. There's a few other guys that do it. But, yeah, we bounce ideas back and forth and try and make it as, as entertaining as possible. Is it a 24-hour job? Is somebody always working social? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah, the, the one thing I, I think I said to uh, a couple of friends in, in the business after about a year of doing it, the... The irony of it is that working in social media means I now have no social life. <laughs> um, you know, we've got events, you know, season-ending events in Turkey and China, and you know, at all hours of the day you could be asked to be covering an event or researching things, and uh, you know, it's 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 good fun to see all those different events, but I don't think people quite appreciate the the sort of hours you have to put in, and you know. 
obviously in the US we've got huge huge fans in the US that, that want to see the Scottish Open or want to see you know the European Masters in Switzerland and stuff so we need to make sure that we're you know posting and, and giving them content when they're awake as well not just concentrating on, on people here in Europe or wherever the event is so yeah it's uh, it's pretty full time yeah no that's exactly the question I was going to have was in that you yeah. probably you know, you are in one time zone at one time, but you guys need to be in basically all the time zones because your fans are all over the world. And I mean, you, yeah, you, there, there's from an American standpoint, we're almost at least almost always six hours, you know, behind from a time zone perspective. And a lot of the golf happens while we're not awake, and you need to see the highlights and stuff like that. But is there anything? And hopefully, don't this doesn't get you in trouble by bringing up a bad incident. But it, has there ever been like? a tweet that you've like had to delete or they've got some bad blowback on or like a really bad typo and something that's ever gotten posted? Oh, I've, I've, I mean, I have done, I'm, I was a king of typos for the first six months. I mean, my own countryman, Richie Ramsey, I spelled his name with an E, E-Y at the end for about the first six months until he came up to me and like basically wrote it down on a bit of paper for me, <laughs> Joking, jokingly with a bit of Scottish banter in there. But, um, I've I've done plenty of spelling mistakes and stuff, but you know we we are always trying to push boundaries and push limits and stuff. So of course we may, we sometimes you know have to be careful with where we draw that line, and you know we can we can use the players to entertain people, but it's obviously we're not trying to make fun of these guys or anything. Uh, you know, we'll leave that up to you guys. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, there's there's times where we maybe you know people come up and say. Uh, something was maybe just a little bit over the line or something but to be honest if, if we're not having conversations like that um every few months we're probably not doing our job well enough you know yeah. our you know keith pelly's our new ceo he's come in and he's been really proactive and uh, and you know one of his sort of messages is always like let's keep pushing boundaries so i'm sure he would agree that if we're not uh, if those things aren't getting flagged up and you know i'm probably not doing my job and it should be somewhere else so yeah um it's pretty fun yeah, you gotta push, gotta push the envelope a bit from time to time. But um, okay, I have a question. I promise it's not it's not Brexit related. It's not independence related. But it's gonna it's lead soon. Soon. It's, it's gonna lead into my next question. So <laughs> okay. you're from Scotland. If I if I ask you, do you identify yourself as a Scot or a Brit? What's your answer? Yeah, I'm, I mean, I'm always I'm always Scottish. Okay. Uh, when I when I was at university and people asked you where you're from, I said Scotland. Okay. So that 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 the reason I'm asking is the next, I want to ask Europeans, specifically British people, do do you care if the Americans call it the British Open? <laughs> is it like I was grown up? Like I mean, so I was brought up by like really, you know, my dad played rugby for Scotland, and my granddad, you know, almost played rugby for Scotland and stuff. You know, tough Scottish men in my family and stuff. So anytime I was growing up and I'd mention like the British Open, it was like blasphemy in our household. <laughs> I'd, I'd literally be everything would stop, and my dad would make me repeat the Open Championship and do a hundred lines type thing. So uh, yeah, it's uh, it's one of those things that it always like ticks in my head. I mean. I'm sure it'll happen 50 times this week. I'll be having a coffee in the media center and I'll hear someone behind me saying, oh, this guy's done really well at the British Open in the past. And I'll just like have to bite my tongue. But, you know, we have, we have it the same way because, you know, there's a lot of people. I always call it the PGA Championship. But, you know, we all, you know, there's a lot of people in Europe and, and Britain that call it the sort of US PGA or American PGA Championship. So I guess you guys can do the exact same thing to us. But, yeah, 
there's definitely going to be uh, a lot of uh, British Open jobs. But I, I enjoy anytime anyone on Twitter says a British Open, I uh, I stop what I'm doing and just click on that tweet and look at the reply. There's some absolute gold that comes from, you know, it'll be Arthur McDougall from <laughs> with three followers up in the north of Scotland that's correcting the guy. It's just, uh, it's fun. Yeah, I mean, I think I, I, that did help. That explanation definitely helped, hearing the background <laughs> and hearing that you the, the, the pride people take in it. But from the American perspective, and I think you can understand this. You used to live in the States and that um, if you tell, if you tell a golf fan the Open yeah. Championship, they know exactly what you're talking about. It's very easy. Um, but if you're not, yeah. if you're talking to somebody that's not necessarily the biggest golf fan, that you need. To, if I said the Open Championship, they'd be looking at me like, what, "What? I don't. I don't really know what that is." If you say the British Open, they think of the claret jug. They think of the golf in the early morning. People people recognize it a lot more. So, um, it's not. It's not. We're not trying to offend people now. I just do it to. I do try to do it to make uh, make people upset because I know. I know how upset people get at it. But, if you guys do it once this week, we're gonna blow up okay, so just so you know. Yeah, no, that's fine. That's fine. Uh, no, I, I just I think uh, I don't know any Americans yeah. that would that get that upset at, at, if you called it the U.S. Mat. I've even seen people call it the yeah. U.S. Masters or U.S. PGA. Yeah, I, just, I just I uh, I just don't. Yeah, but it's it's it is fun to see the reaction right now because I know now I know people do it just to stoke the flames to the fire. It's too easy. <laughs> Um, so what, what did, uh, so we can transition then a little bit into the, the open championship. I'll do it for your sake, but, uh, what can you tell me about Royal Troon? The last time the open was there was 2004. Uh, Todd Hamilton won it. I don't really remember a ton about the course. Everyone knows about the postage, the postage stamp hole, the eighth yeah, yeah. part three, but what can you tell me about Royal Troon? Yeah, Troon's a really, really good course. I mean, it's in one of the areas of Scotland out west that's got, you know, near Turnbury and, and near the coast and things and it's it's uh it's it's exactly what you want from like a, an open championship course it's, it's sort of a little quirky it's you know the first tee's right by the the coast and you know you tee off right next to a fence and it used to be Ivor Robson standing next to the fence and they sort of typically they play the first few holes um downwind until they get to the to the postage stamp and they play that and then they come back in and the back nine is just an absolute brute you know if they get the wrong wind and they're playing into the wind on the back nine you see some some pretty high scores but yeah it was uh it's funny that it's always been americans that won here actually when i was like 16 i think it was my my uh, mom and dad brought me with my brother my brother's a little older than i am and we came uh Stayed in the Mark Kalkovecchia suite at the Royal Troon Hotel overlooking the course. And uh, I think I was like a five handicap at the time or four handicap or something at like 16 years old. And dad, as a treat, was like, right, you know what, we're going to go and play. You know, we've looked at this course for two or three days. We're, let's go and play it and you can tick it off your list. And um, they don't let anyone under the age of 18 play. Oh, wow. So there's, there's no juniors get to play. So my dad being my dad, you know, was kept going at this guy in the pro shop saying, you know, my son plays all four. He's like, Jimmy, Jimmy, do a swing. Jimmy, show, my, <laughs> show him your swing. And uh, it, didn't, it didn't do anything, so we didn't play it. And then we could get outside and watch uh, yeah, four Japanese guys teeing off that take like three shots just to be able to hit the ball. And, you know, ended up that we just went over to the practice area and hit some shots. But the area itself is really cool. You know, it's a, it's a, Glasgow's a major town that's like 30 minutes away, but it's quite quaint. But, you know, it's, it's we've had a lot of rain here recently you'll have seen it at the Scottish Open and stuff so uh, it's going to be playing a little softer than it has uh, than probably they would like as well so it might bring a few more people into play that wouldn't 
typically have a chance at the open, but it's uh, it's a really cool open venue. And to me, one of the thing, one of the cool things about the open that Troon has is the classic 18th second shot. I don't know if you've seen any of the photos of it yet, but the clubhouse looks like it's parked on the back third of the green. Hmm. So the guys hitting in, they don't put a stand or anything behind it. So the guys hitting in, you know, there's some guys standing out behind the behind the clubhouse. And I always just think, you know, Muirfield's got that. And yeah, obviously the, the St. Andrews has got that and stuff. But it's just real classic sort of uh, open championship feel to it when you see them coming down that sort of uh, hallway down the 18th on the 72nd hole or whatever it is in the, in the clubhouse standing behind it's uh, it's a really cool sort of image as they come in so uh, it'll be a lot of fun um, I'm really looking forward to, to working at it and also just as a golf fan just seeing it so well, I think uh, we'll get to it in a second, but one of the things you said there makes me feel really good about my pick to win it. But um, well, well, I'll get to that here in a second. But okay. first, I want to ask: um, it's kind of a two-part question in that, what kind of player does Troon fit? And the second part of it is: do you feel like the different courses in the Rota really necessarily fit different types of players? The basis of that I'm saying is. I feel like U.S. Open courses uh, really do differ a lot. I mean, the style yeah, differs so greatly, but I don't. I don't personally think too much about the course when I'm looking into an Open Championship. But so, yeah. Do, do you see anything with Troon that specific that fits specific players, or do you think it's not as co- uh, consequential for an Open Championship? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I completely agree with you. I think I think U.S. Opens can be really different. Um, you know, my, I was lucky enough to go to Chambers Bay last year. I was actually I had the first tee time the day after, um, so I went out and played it and played it with a few of the other media guys. They have a sort of lottery every major, and you put your name in a hat. And you know, I you know thinking I'd watched it all week, but you just you know getting out there and seeing you know if you told me when I was ten years old that you're going to go play a U.S. Open course, I would have thought you know thick rough and uh, try and keep the ball in the fairway. But so that was so different. Obviously, Oakmont was so different this year, but. Yeah, when it comes to the open, the challenge is almost always very, very similar. Um, you really, it, course management's like the absolute key. You need a, usually you need a pretty high golf IQ just to, you know, sometimes five iron off the tee is the right call to lay up short of a bunker and leave yourself the right angle in. It's sometimes really hard for, for fans watching on TV to understand, you know, a guy hits it to 30 feet on from 130 yards or something and the crowd are clapping and that's like, the best shot he was trying to hit, you know, with a certain, you know, bunker on a short side or something you're just trying to stay away from. So it's, that's what's really cool for me. And what I always tell people if they're coming to the open is come on the practice days, like today, tomorrow and Wednesday, uh, watching these guys is not like Augusta where they're going around and taking photos and just enjoying and hitting trick shots and stuff. These guys are, this is their absolute, like, you know, bread and butter work that they're putting in the next few days they're trying to see right they'll, they'll hit three four balls off a tee they'll try and take on that bunker they'll try and hit a stinger off the tee and see how far it rolls it's you know you hit so many different shots at the open that i really think it comes down to like course management and the greens aren't going to be quick i think you know they'll be running like 10 or 11 at the, at the quickest obviously because of the wind and things so i feel like that equalizes putting somewhat because you can just be aggressive on the greens so you just it has to be a ball striker that's that it's got some sort of, you know, course management. Obviously, you know, Zach won last year at the old course, which fits. You know, he he seems like a guy that thinks his way around the course and is quite happy to lay up to like a really specific yardage and and just you know put trust in his wedge and his putter and get his caddy doing the 
crazy dance that he does. And, uh, you're trying to get it out of me right now. You're trying. You're stoking the yeah, flame right now. I'm, I'm going to keep talking until you cut me off and tell me who you're, you're No, you're stoking the flame. We'll talk about Zach Johnson laying up and whatnot. But. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The ultimate layoff guy uh, wins the Open Championship. So you, yeah. sh- you, should, do a, you should do an entire podcast on him and, and tra- uh, who was it? Uh, Laid up every par five at the open. Mike Weir back at the, the Masters. You should do. It. Well, that was that was ZJ too. He laid up on every par five in yeah. 07 and won the Masters. So, you yeah, just, you should do a special on those guys and just giving <laughs> giving them advice on, on going over specific shots that they should have just taken it on. I'm just cursing the entire time through, all the way through it. So, <laughs> <laughs> I've always wondered, um, and I, I've I've not really played. I've played some links golf in the U.S., which you know you you Scots would probably laugh at but i think like something like bandon dunes is a very different style of golf i'm um, still yeah. not quite to the level that it is in scotland ireland but i've gotten the chance the last couple of years to play a few rounds in scotland i got to play the old course um just a couple weeks ago i played some courses in ireland and i'm just blown away by how different the style of golf is and um i feel very comfortable and uncomfortable in those courses at the same time and i really love the challenge i'm not afraid of it at all it's just like i just feel like I'm wandering around out there without a compass and don't really know what to do. I think second time through, I played a couple of the courses in Scotland two times, and second time through, I improved every single time I got to play one of those courses twice. But I know these players are the best players in the world, but it just blows my mind how fast they can switch from normal like American-style golf to, like you're talking about Jordan Speed last year, won the John Deere, and then came over and finished one shot out of a playoff on a completely different style of play. Now, I know that, again, these guys are the best players in the world, but I feel like you really do need experience with these links golf. I know these guys have done Walker Cup and they, they have experience, but how do, how do guys, tran- even on the European Tour, transitioning week to week, people think European Tour is links golf every week. It definitely is not. There's not much links golf on the European yeah, Tour. But how do these guys seamless, seem to just like seamlessly transition from week to week? How do you even begin to explain that? Yeah, I mean, it's such it's such a good point that uh, especially our guys. I mean, we try and do it so they've they've got sort of links events in a row. I think that's what they like to sort of get into mm-hmm. the right frame of mind. So you know, the French Open's not links course, but it plays hard and fast with you know thick rough and it's testing. So they come. I think Rory came over and played there to get a bit prep for for this week coming and you know we put the scottish open before this week and you know you get guys like phil and stricker and danny lee last week and they come out but i think jb holmes is probably a good example of, of your adjustment he came over last week and you know, he's a really nice guy he came across really well but i think he was like uh eight over par from through six or seven holes at uh, castle stewart just you know it really does take adjusting um it's like you say until you play it until you see it you don't really get a feel for it you know, i grew up playing north barrack and muirfield and courses sort of out there so you know i, I absolutely love it and um you know one example uh, lee slattery on our tour he won last year he uh he came into the media center last week after i think his second round and he'd done a bit of media and was telling i think he was like middle of the pack and he just came to, came over to us guys and he was like blowing his, his his cheeks out and he just looked like he just worked out instead of playing around a golf and he said that he'd hit three wood on two consecutive holes at Castle Stewart the same same three wood same swing he said uh, and the first one went three forty five and the second one went one ninety five <laughs> and yeah that you, you can understand that just talking about it but yeah you just you end up hitting shots and swings that you just you just never ever think about it. 
Um, another cool thing to do like, when you come to the Open is to like go to the practice area and just see some of the shots that they're practicing. You'll see guys you know, obviously putting driving irons and play and stuff, but they're trying to hit it like head height or they're trying to hit you know, try and get a cut that's going to work and stop on the greens and stuff. But it's uh, it's real, like, Spieth last year, I mean, to to do the, everything he was doing and then come and just about win the Open uh, was, was just so impressive. And, you know, Rory doing it um, the year before, you know, where he's got really high ball flight, but he makes it work on links. I mean, it really, links is... It's obviously can be a bit of a lottery when it gets to to the weather and to the wind and things like that. But when guys play well on links, it's it's almost more impressive than watching them on sort of any other course anywhere else in the world. Yeah, because it just takes this. The biggest thing to me is the unpredictability of the bounces, right? And that you know the U.S. golf is so maybe aside from the U.S. Open, almost every week the greens are relatively soft if not very soft, and it's target practice once you get short irons in your hand, land it right next to the hole. But Completely, even yeah. in links golf, even if you've got a wedge in your hand, sometimes that's a disadvantage because you may try to play for the front of the green for it to run out, and it doesn't, you know, if there's an upslope of some kind. Yeah. Um, or you land it at the hole and it runs too far past, whereas maybe if you have seven iron in, you know you can land it in front of the green and run it on. It's just, yeah. There's so much strategy in, in like a Rubik's Cube trying to solve it rather than uh, – you know, it could be an easy hole to hit driver, but you don't want to necessarily have a 70-yard shot, perhaps, into the green. So Yeah, that feeds into that, that course management thing. I mean, the best example I can give people within a three-second window of, of understanding it is uh, go to our Facebook page. I, I threw up a gif the other day of uh, Danny Lee was playing. Oh, he's obviously, he play, you know, couldn't play Greenbrier, so he, he kindly came over and was great in all the media and stuff he was doing in Scotland and played really well. He finished third at the Scottish Open last week and but he had this shot on the sixth hole of the par five, I think on the second day or third day. And the, the, our TV guys had got this really cool close-up. of He had a perfect lie, but it was a like a 110-yard shot to a front pin on a par five. And that fit exactly to what you were saying. Just go and watch his swing that he puts on this. I mean, it's like uh, Rory McIlroy hacking out of the deep rough. Uh, you know the recoil and he I mean he swung at this thing like 190 percent it was like it was like his caddy said oh I've left the wedge and the nine iron on the last hole all I've got is a lob wedge you've got to try and get it there I mean he knew he was gonna have to try and hit it high he was gonna have to try and stop it quick Uh, and I've never seen a swing like it it was absolutely we couldn't believe it when we watched it and I was like I've got to show that to people immediately but that feeds in I mean exactly you say he probably just put himself in the wrong position there, you know, looking back, he probably should have tried to lay up way closer. So he only had sort of 20 or 30 yards to chip in, but it's, uh, yeah, it's just so much fun watching the best golfers in the world, especially at the open where it is like such a strong field. Um, it's just play, play a course in such a different way. You know, you see, you know, Darren Clark winning, um, a few years ago when, you know, he, you know, just, it was maybe over his peak and things like that, but going up against Dustin Johnson at Royal St. George's, like two guys that couldn't be more different in every way, but, you know, they're competing on score alone and it's, uh, it's so much fun to watch and, um, I'm looking forward to it. So are you, are you ready to drop your pick yet? Or are you going to, all right, fine. I will. I will. Um, I made the pick before the season started. Um, I'm not like as confident in it, but I've been sticking to my preseason picks, and they've treated me very well so far. Um, I'm going with Rory. Okay. Okay. Are you laughing at the pick, or are you just like, oh, that's really no, safe, no. that's really a big shocker, number four player in the world, or whatever? 
yeah, I mean, he's he's it's an interesting time for him. I mean, he was he he was at France playing the French Open uh, what a couple of weeks ago, and you can tell uh, he's working on something. I think he's working on his takeaways. You know, changed his grip slightly, and uh, he's really grinding. I think he he wanted to play quite a few events with his uh, uh, head of it. We spoke to him in France, and you know he was. Um, he was saying he was going to head over to Ireland. He was going to play a couple of rounds at Troon, but I mean, he wasn't taking time off before he gets here. He was going to Ireland. I think he was he booked in to play Royal County Down and a few courses in Ireland that he knew would prepare him in the same way. Um, he's definitely grinding to get there, but um, I mean, he's going through his swing changes. But I mean, he finished third in France, um, going through the swing changes and saying he's he wasn't quite there yet, but he's he's seeing good signs as his puttings, you know, despite all the. Uh, grip changes and attention on it. His putting's actually been really good this year, um, both oh, in the, on the European Tour and wherever else he's played. So uh, no, he's a strong pick, man. He's uh, you know I think that I think the softness of of the rain recently will probably help him. He can probably just fly it that little bit further on the fairways and not worry about running into bunkers and things like that. But um, I'm sure he'll be a popular pick, and um, I wouldn't be surprised if that if that came to dividends in the end. Yeah, I think uh, one thing I was going to mention about the links as well is that what you just said about running into bunkers. Now, the, those bunkers look so small. And, yeah. I mean, when I play, like, American-style golf, I, I, I'm i not scared of bunkers, you know. Obviously, I'm not trying to hit it, at the, hit it in them, but I'm never, like, taking a different club to avoid going into a bunker, right? Like, if, yeah. But in Lynx golf, if you miss a fairway into one of these bunkers, you are pitching out. You're not getting on the green from fairway bunkers. And- oh, completely. I'm, I remember the first time I played uh, the old course a while ago. Was, I played it maybe five or six times. But the first time was the only time I had a caddy. And he's typical sort of St. Andrew's caddy. He's hilarious. And he you know, shoot my hand on the first tee. And I think he told me, I, I, I'm sure he said three things. He was like, you're going to get three things today that you've never seen before. That you're gonna have the longest putt that you've ever had. You're gonna you're gonna understand what a full putt feels like. He said you're gonna go in a bunker that you didn't even know was there because you just you, half the time balls rolling around you can't see it from the tee. And then he was like, and you're gonna have a bunker shot that you can't get closer to the hole. <laughs> and and the, all, all three things came true probably within the first two holes or something. But you know, just the way the ball trickles. I mean, even. In Castle Stewart last week, we I almost uh, tweeted this video of Andy Sullivan hit this shot on the 16th. It was like 330 yards. Andy Sullivan uh, smashes his driver and runs it up, and it's like 15 feet from the hole at one point. The commentators are saying, oh, it's a great shot. He's got a good chance for eagle. And then the ball just keeps rolling, mm. keeps trickling, and it trickled down, rolled into the bunker, got on a down slope to where he just barely got it out and made par on this uh, short par four. But yeah, it's just what you say. Until the ball stops, you don't know where it's going to go. And it's, uh, you know, some people don't like it because it's a bit of a lottery, but I mean, it's just so much fun to watch. And um, I think I think you really got to embrace it. You've got to have a lot of patience because, you know, it probably happened to a lot of the players this week that they'll think they were in the fairway and they'll be striding ahead of their playing partners, you know, twiddling their wedge, thinking they're in the middle of the fairway. And then um, one of the unfortunate marshals will have to point out to someone that their ball's up against the face of a bunker. So, hmm. Yeah, uh, and I think you, you'll you look at the layout of a hole and be like, what is this bunker even doing here? How would this come into play? 50 yards in front of the green. Yeah, yeah. And then you miss, you're going to be missing the tall grass and you need a punch out of some kind or you need to run one through the fairway and you're like, 
that's why that bunker's here. I cannot yeah. roll up into the screen. It's really, yeah. it's really great strategy. Yeah, we're, do, we're doing, a, we're doing a feature this week on the on the website. We'll, we'll tweet out a link to it as well on the on the postage stamp. Obviously, it's getting a lot of attention. So I've been doing a whole bunch of research in the last few weeks on it. And there's a in 1950, there's a German guy. He was an amateur that came and played. And you know, bear in mind that hole's 120 yards. And you know, GMAC hit six iron the other day. And when he was warming up, but this guy, uh, what, what, I think he went in the bunker just down to the right, which is a bit of a deeper bunker that people will see this week. But it took him 13 shots to get out of the bunker. <laughs> he he won putted for a 15. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, uh, it's, uh, it's, it happens all the time. I think Tiger back in uh, in '97, he took three to get out of the bunker and uh, and then three putted as well. So, um, you know. Prepare to get you know, get the popcorn bought in the first couple of days this week because come the weekend it's uh, it's going to be uh, pretty amazing watching some of these guys and uh, and like you say it's not um, who was it we were talking to um, it was Russell Russell Knox he was he was talking last week and he'd come over from playing a course in the states and you know he obviously loves it over there and, and is doing very well but he was saying exactly like you said it's you know you know you're going to hit driver off the tee you know if you hit wedge 145 it's going to spin and go to 142 uh, and he said over here you don't get the same weather for four days in a row you don't even get the same weather for four holes in a row and he's, uh, you have to be prepared to absolutely battle and you know one of the cool things from being here at events is uh, if you see players after their round, you know, you go into the players' lounge and see them uh, having a bite to eat or something, they literally look like they've run a marathon. I mean, <laughs> last year when with the wind at St. Andrews, uh, a couple of times, there was a couple of delays and things. I went over and, and chatted to a few of the guys in the in the players' lounge and stuff, and, you know, they were just worn out. You know, it's it's a tough walk anyway, but it's just so mentally exhausting. That, you know, the importance of a good caddy is huge. It's just, uh, it's 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 the ultimate test in my opinion but it's uh it's just for a fan it's just it's hilarious to watch at the same time it's quite inspiring to watch it's uh it'll be good all right without further ado who's your pick Oof, my pick well i i I tend to write our uh we do like a fantasy watch all Mm -hmm. the time so uh so there's a there's a there's a few guys up there i mean even i call montgomery he's a member there i mean could he pull it out and do the sort of tom watson run at the claret jug um, I can't imagine what that press conference would be like. Uh, <laughs> it'd, be worth, it'd be selling tickets at the door, I think. And uh, you know, Matteo Manassero, who qualified last week, he's you know coming back around to a bit of form. But you know, there's a lot of guys on our tour, and I think Andy Sullivan playing well last week. He's he's a he's a pretty sneaky pick. I mean, he's uh, he's obviously sort of in our Ryder Cup team at the moment. He's he won a couple of times last year. Went battled Rory down the stretch in Dubai. And, you know, he's got he's got the right demeanor for it. He putts very well. He's become very straight off the tee. He's a little further than people think he is, and you know he grew up playing not necessarily links golf, but he played he played Walker Cups at Royal Aberdeen and stuff like that. I mean, he's played plenty of links golf, so he's the kind of guy that might fly under the radar a little bit. But you know, who, who's to say we can't get two of the three majors and on that Ryder Cup team so far? It'd be it'd be pretty fun to watch him win. So that's why you were laughing at my Rory pick. Like you're going, you're you're going like off the off the the yeah, first yeah. page of the betting sheet for your picks. That makes sense. I've got to go for the value, and uh, yeah, I mean, I just can you imagine Andy Sullivan with a four shot lead walking down 18th? I mean, he's he's smiling on the first tee, smiles after <laughs> his triple bogey. Imagine what he'd be like walking down. He'd probably be signing autographs and. All the the whole way down, he just uh, it'd be good fun. I mean, I I was lucky enough. It, uh, it was my first time at Augusta earlier in the year, and I got to 
uh, hang out a little bit with Danny Willow and his caddy and stuff afterwards and and uh, just see how surreal it is for these guys to, to get to that point that they've been working so hard for. So to see a guy like Andy Sullivan or one of our other European Tour players or one of the sort of young Sp- Spaniards or something, Rafa or someone, to, to see someone like that do it and be here, it's just uh, it's surreal and I'm, I'm pretty lucky to be where I am. Well, that, was, that may be the answer to my next question there is what, what would you say is like the most memorable experience you've had so far? Well, I mean... Sitting with uh, Danny Willage, just the two of us, and talking about him coming down the stretch at Augusta. I mean, that was crazy. Uh, I actually remember his caddy told us this amazing story that um, sort of put in perspective uh, uh, what happened. Uh, you'll probably remember it, and obviously watching the Masters pretty closely. But he was playing with Westwood. Westwood pitches in for Eagle on 15. So he's at the back of the green waiting to walk off. Uh, Danny, I think, had laid up, hit it close. I can't remember if he made the birdie or made par. Uh, but because Westwood was already on the 16th tee, the par three, and Danny Willett actually had to go to the toilet, so he went to the toilet there, uh, sort of near some of the concession stands through the pimento cheese and found, found the toilet. And then as he was coming out of the toilet, they were changing the scoreboards above the 15th grandstand, uh, and that's where Spieth's quadruple bogey got put up on the leaderboard. Wow. And he's, he's, he actually walked, his caddy told us this as well, he walked onto the 16th tee, just turned to his Smarties, uh, Jonathan Smarts, his caddy, and just said, "We're we're leading by one." And uh, apparently, like apparently, his eyes went from you know enjoying around a golf just into complete like game time mode, and you know he hit it close on sixteen, made birdie, and then then went on to win. But if he hadn't just gone to the toilet at that point, he wouldn't have known that he was leading. And you know, some of the cool stories that you hear just from meeting these guys and getting a sort of behind the scenes look. But I was just. You know, if I just find out I was leading the Masters by a shot and Jordan Spieth was one behind me and I was on that tee, I think I would my shot would have looked like a skimming shot. I would have thinned it and it would have <laughs> skipped across the water and gone like halfway across that pond. But I mean, that's what makes these guys so good that if everything wasn't on the line, they probably wouldn't hit these shots. But they're they're just so good under pressure. Yeah, it would look like that those Wednesday intentional shots that they skip across the pond there on sixteen. I think. Yeah, like, yeah. and the, the first that was a funny thing that so. My first trip to Augusta, I said, I've been watching it since I was a kid, and as soon as I get on site, I uh, get whatever work I need to get done in the media center, and then I'm immediately out, and the funny thing was, I knew where everything was. I'd never been there before, but it was like I was inside of a computer game or something. I knew exactly where I was walking to get to Amen Corner. I was, I was getting, like, confidently giving people directions as I was walking <laughs> around, saying, oh, yeah, the AT, it's over there. I've never been here before. But I get down to Eamon Corner and walk past 12. I uh, saw Ricky Fowler teeing off on 12, and then I got to 16. The very first shot I've ever seen on the 16th hole at uh, Augusta was Rory was on the tee, and there was a huge crowd there. Uh, and he hits, a, I think it was like an eight iron to the front right pin, hits it past the pin, spins it, and it goes in <laughs> for a hole in one. So like, the first shot I've ever seen on this hole uh, that I've watched like all my life is, is Rory holding it out. And I was just, I took a second there and just thought to myself, like, where the hell am I? I'm standing watching Rory McIlroy make all the ones at 16. But it's, uh, yeah, so that was, getting to get to Augusta is probably uh, the highlight so far. But every week on tour we go anywhere, it's uh, some of the personalities and some of these players are just uh, just really good fun. Um, there's countless guys that I know I'm pretty friendly with on tour and uh, they're all so funny and so much fun just to chat to and they don't take their job too seriously until they sort of get on that first tee. And it's uh, as a guy that grew up playing golf, it's just so much fun to watch guys 
that are professionals and, and have that sort of demeanor and not take themselves too seriously. Well, that's actually the next question I had was related to the underrated personalities. But first, with the story you just told, the only time I've been to the Masters, um, I'm with Tron and, and Big Randy and two other no laying yeah. up guys and our friend Goodman. And we, we walk onto the grounds and it's two, Monday morning. First shot we see, we walk up to nine green. KJ Choi hits one past the pin. And it just starts trickling, trickling. I think the first time I really got appreciation for how fast those greens are. Trickling, 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 falls in the hole. For a hole out two in the practice round, crowd's going nuts. We just looked at each other like, let's go. Let's just leave. Let that be the only shot. So we, we wander around for a little bit. We end up at three green. And you know, it's three, you're saying you understand the layout. 16 green is right there, like just, yeah. just down the hill. And we, you know, we hear this, oh, oh big buildup. Long build-up and just an absolute uproar. People going insane. It was when Martin Keimer was doing the skipping off the water, skipped it off the water and hold it for a hole-in-one. Like yeah. the the VJ had done it before, but I think he was the second one to ever do it in that in that win, in that competition or one-day competition or whatever. And oh my God, that roar! And we missed it. We were so close. We ran down to see what happened. Like yeah, you just skipped it off the water into the hole. We're like, did we seriously just miss that? That was my only critique of Augusta. Was like, the, everything's so close, but and you hear the roars, you feel like you're always missing something. Like you're rarely <laughs> just like at the right hole at the right time. Absolutely. But uh, um, yeah, so uh, you get to know a lot of these guys being out on the tour. Like who are some of the the more underrated personalities? I feel like I'm finding this out more on a day to day basis, even. Uh, our guys, Tron and Randy, just had a their first podcast they dropped today where they had Jean Vandeveld on. And like just hearing him talk for 30 minutes, 30 minutes later, I just view his entire career and his whole life differently. Like I'm now really, really rooting for the guy. Like who yeah. are some guys that you've gotten to know or just some really underrated personalities on the European yeah. tour? I mean, Jean Vandeveld, he is hilarious. Him and Thomas LeVay, the, the other French older uh, guy who's played on the Ryder Cup and stuff. I mean, it's something about the French guys is just absolutely hilarious. Like Raphael Jacqueline, people like that, just Alex Levy, all these guys are, are hilarious. Actually, Thomas LeVay, I remember uh, one of the f- first events I was at, he, you know, he still plays a little bit. And there's a rain delay, and I walk up onto the tee, and I'm sort of looking over the tee board, and I'm always sort of trying to get there to get a GoPro photo or, or take a video or something like that. And uh, I see that he's got a... He had a ball balanced on uh, the top of his driver, like the sole plate of his driver, and I was like, oh, that's, that's kind of cool. And then I get up there and realize that he's got a tee balanced on top of the ball, balanced on top of the driver. What? Like, this is weird. And then I get up even closer and realize that the whole thing is resting on a wedge. <laughs> so he, he had a tee balanced on a ball, balanced on a driver, balanced on a wedge. And he was just, he was just like entertaining the folks. He was like an, this entertainer. But anytime you see him, he's like... You know, he has people in floods of laughter. He's he's, but he doesn't play that much anymore. But some of the some of the guys on tour that people probably aren't too familiar with, or maybe the sort of Google guys that you've got to Google to get to know them. But uh, Rafa, we mentioned earlier. I mean, he's like top thirty in the world, Spanish guy. I mean, he is like the definition of cool. Like walking around a golf course with him, you immediately feel unattractive. Um, I was there. He was at Castle Stewart last week, and I watched a couple of holes and got a couple of photos and quotes from him and stuff and he's so friendly so chilled um you know he loves surfing he's like oh you need to uh, let me know if you ever want to use my uh, my place in bali i was like 
is, is this real life? Like, <laughs> the top 30 player in the world is just like, yeah, you want to use my place in Bali? Just like, yeah. So he's, he's a really cool guy. Um, Chris Wood, who won our uh, BMW PGA Championship at Wentworth, uh, genuinely, like, I mean, he's the easiest guy to spot on the range because he's about six foot seven, but he's just like super, super friendly, really nice guy. Um, Tong Chai ID, like, <laughs> it comes across as a serious guy, but he's he's hilarious, a really sweet guy off the course. Um, one guy nobody will probably have ever really heard of, his name's Felipe Aguilar. He's like a, a Chilean guy. He is just, he walks around like he's won the lottery. I mean, he he's never got a smile off his face. He actually is playing pretty well this year, um, but he's, he's just really nice guy to be around um some of the younger guys like the dude Cole's hearts i mean he is he's different to everyone else he's so laid back it's amazing that he can even swing he just doesn't look like he's got any sort of uh you know blood pressure or or pulse going when he's on a golf course um but we do so we started doing like a, a few of these sort of i guess you'd class them as like viral video ideas and we're always uh pitching them to players and you never quite know how players are going to react to it but it's amazing how many times we've done these shoots and players come and completely embrace it and uh you know burn Wiesberger is a player that you know, i wasn't sure how um chatty he would be or friendly he would be he's a, he's a nice guy on tour but we invited him to do our sort of all sports challenge in uh in dubai where they were using you know tennis rackets and nerf balls and stuff and and he literally had us all in stitches the whole week the, the whole day we were shooting this thing um he was doing it with andy sullivan peter uline and uh he was like tripping the guys up he was trying to put them off he was like showing noonan when they were trying to hit and stuff i mean you know, it's it genuinely like what you see on TV. Some of these guys that are the funny guys on TV are maybe a bit quieter off the course. Some of the guys that are serious on the course are just hilarious and laid back off the course. And uh, I guess Beefy's one of the ones now as well. He seems to be getting a lot of attention with you guys and some of the some of the press over in the states. Hmm. Um, uh, Andrew Johnson. We've got a, we did a sort of crib shoot with him recently, so uh, I think it's going to be coming out in the next two or three weeks where we went in his house and I mean that guy is just crazy <laughs> he is absolutely crazy I mean he, he refuses now to shave his beard and you know I think he went over to the US Open and and like ate his body weight and barbecue food every day but yeah I mean we're just really lucky we've got so many guys from and it's nice to see like the French guys hanging out and the you know Spanish guys hanging out and the guys from Thailand that come together and play practice rounds and stuff um, it's just cool to see that sort of like camaraderie on tour it's not these guys are you know playing for millions of of euros and world ranking points but they go out and practice rounds and and have fun just like you know me and you would if we went out and played around a goal yep um well i think yeah you mentioned bert wiesberger there i think he's a new he's a new follower i mean he maybe have to be a new target for a player oh, to have really? on the podcast it sounds like so nice yeah um all right last question i'll let you out on okay. unless you got anything more for me um I feel like obviously Danny Willett has been a player on the world stage for a couple of years, but the Masters breakthrough clearly was his his breakthrough, his um, I guess emergence into a top ten player in the world. Uh, I would say that in general, Americans and, and I lump myself into this too. It it takes a significant win like that for us to um, really yeah, yeah. yeah really take notice or really appreciate a player's ability when we don't see you very often on the PGA Tour. Yeah. Uh, Shane Lowry had his breakthrough last year at the Bridgestone. 
Uh, he didn't win the U.S. Open, but I think everyone can appreciate that performance that he put on at the U.S. Open. Um, who would be maybe one or two guys that you see as the next European guys that we haven't fully gotten appreciation for on the other side of the pond that uh, could be busting through soon? Yeah, I mean, there's, there's quite a lot. Actually. We've had quite a lot of young winners on tour this year. We've got a lot of you know, really, really good guys under the age of like 23 that, you know, when they come out now, they're so much more ready to, to win than they were before. You know, they've got absolutely no fear. You know, one of the guys that comes to mind is uh, Brandon Stone. He was playing today at Troon with Ernie and getting some tips off Ernie and stuff. But he won in South Africa earlier this year and, you know, really, really good swing. He's, like, won everything there is to win in South Africa as an amateur and, you know, carries himself as, like, a real professional. Um, you know, he's uh, he's definitely one to watch. There's a guy named Max Kiefer, German guy. I think he made, like, 23 straight cuts last year. He's just a really consistent ball striker that, that does well. Um, but probably, on, you guys need to get on this guy. I mean, I, I th- he's got a Twitter account, so add him. He's got an Instagram account. Get on him. And uh, we, we try and do anything we can with this guy. His name's Renato Paratori. Have you heard of him? I can't say that I have. Kind of embarrassed. But he's I... in a, he's in a, no, it's all right. He's an Italian. He's... Uh, He's just a hundred. He's like just inside the top hundred on the race to Dubai this year. I think uh, he's like nineteen year old Italian guy. You have never seen someone play golf quicker than this guy plays golf. Wow. Um, our TV guys don't even like him because by the time they cut to him, he's hit a golf shot. He's <laughs> off. He's off done. He doesn't take practice swings. He doesn't take his glove off. We did a. We do like a player blog every week where we get a player. We sit down with a player and he writes. He basically just writes it for us. We don't have to do any of the writing. We just want to get a feel for their you know, personality and, and see what they have to say. And he said that like the most practice swings he'll take in a round is two. Like if he's, if he's just trying to work on a cut on a tee, he might take one practice swing. But I genuinely think if, you, if, if he was playing this week and he was that guy that was going out first on Saturday when they have an odd number that makes a cut, I feel like he could shoot 70 in an hour. I mean, he's, uh, he's a really talented guy, but he's a lot of fun to watch and he sort of the best parts of what these young guys on tour are like. So, yeah, make sure and get him added on social media and keep an eye on him. All right. Noted. Um, hopefully that no one's left listening and that me not having heard of this guy isn't heard by anybody else out there. So, um, I think I'm going to let you go unless you have anything else yeah. for me, anything that we missed. Yeah. No, I, the, the only reason I want you to let me go is so that I can hear that little theme that you guys have got. I absolutely, I'm obsessed by golf commentary, and when when I hear all those like famous clips, I just like. I mean, no offense to the content in the middle of the podcast, but I, I, could, I, I could listen to that all day. So you can let me go, and I'll just I'll listen to that as you uh, as you wrap up. You fast forward to the end of the, and listen to the beginning of the, end of the podcast. But uh, Mr. Yeah. Kennedy, thanks so much for joining us. You guys still listening can follow Jamie on Twitter at Jamie R Kennedy. And also, obviously, at European Tour. But, uh, Jamie, keep up the great work. Thanks for taking an hour of your time. I know it's a busy week for you. Um, enjoy the Open Championship this week. And uh, we will yeah, – I'm hoping to make it to the Ryder Cup. I have not worked out the details yet. But there's a chance if that happens, uh, we'll have to meet up. And then also we should try to figure out a weekend to play some Scottish golf. Yeah, we've got three wild cards. I'll put in a good word for you, Darren Clark, and see if we can get you out there. <laughs> Sounds good. Uh, just I mentioned to all your followers as well, we've got a funny video coming out this week where we had a, a little kid named Billy who's going to do a few interviews for us this season. He was interviewing GMAC and asking him why uh, why he stopped winning majors and started opening restaurants and stuff. It's, it, <laughs> it's, uh, it's pretty fun. So we got 
you know, we're a bit scared to ask some of the questions that everyone wants to hear. So we, we hired a little, <laughs> a little six or eight year old kid called Billy. So we're getting him to ask our questions for us. So Perfect. Put child labor to work. It's on, great. Uh, it'll be on Twitter and Facebook. So hope That's you great. guys enjoy that. We'll do. Uh, all right, Jamie, thank you for your time, man. We'll talk to you again soon. Cool. Thanks. Enjoy Cheers. the open championship. Thanks buddy. Be the right club. Be the right club today. Yeah. Johnny, that's better than most. How about him? That is better than most. Better than most. Expect.